0: gone last week about eight days or so, four of which was in an airplane, which is never fun, Um, but I was in South Africa, and so forgive me, I'm a little bit jet-lagged still, Uh, but the the kind of the plus side of being jet-lagged was this morning I was up at 4 a.m., which typically is not something I would normally do, Um, but it was cool. I got to see the sunrise this morning, and did anybody see the sunrise this morning? Come on. Yeah, bro. How do you deal? Come on. Uh, it was gorgeous, dude. The sky was on fire, that, that bright, like, pinkish orange. Um, and it reminded me of the last time that I actually saw the sunrise here in Temecula. Uh, my youngest daughter, Vivian, sometimes she go through, goes through seasons where she doesn't sleep too well. And I remember she was up one morning early, and, like, we have a sliding glass door, you know, in our kitchen that goes to the backyard, and it's obviously a big glass door, and you could see kind of the, um, the sky from there. And she goes, I remember, do you remember when she said that? She goes, she goes, Daddy, Jesus made the sunrise just for me. It was like the cutest thing ever, but I was thinking about it. I'm like, that's actually really good theology. Like that a child would understand that God created this for her pleasure. For her to, 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 to steward well, to take care, but also to her, for her to find joy. And for her to see Jesus in it, right? I don't know, just kind of of like a cool moment for me this morning. It was good, but like I said, I'm still jet-lagged. So uh, if I say anything that's heretical, that's my excuse. (laughs) I'm I'm jet-lagged. But to be honest with you, uh, the trip was incredibly fruitful. Um, It was was exhausting, but it was incredibly fruitful. There was um, 35 people from the Restored Family of Churches. If you didn't know, we belong to a family of churches. This is the fourth church plant of the Restored Family of Churches, so 35 people, um, members of the church, sacrificed, spent the money, took the time off, found childcare for their kids, and flew the two days to Durban, South Africa, to go and be with and invest in and help to equip and love and serve a church that we dearly love out there called Harbor City, and guys, it was like, it was amazing, the the ministry time like i said was incredibly fruitful it was a blessing there was deep connection between the church and again the church's people right so not just like leaders and pastors but the church growing in love for each other ministering to each other um Dude, the ministry times were just so rich, guys. I can't even tell you. It was such a blessing. It was really, really good. Um, I came home actually a little bit earlier. Uh, I I left uh, Wednesday morning. The team that came with me, they're still there. I think they're actually probably in the air right now. But they stayed an extra four or five days just to kind of take some time to relax. And they went to Cape Town, which is like the most beautiful city in the whole world. It's like the mountains and the ocean meet, and it's just gorgeous. So they're having a good time. You can, um, I love you guys more than they do. That's why I'm here. Um, Don't tell them I said that. I'm just joking. Uh, That didn't go over well. That was supposed to be a joke. Um, But one of the cool things that came out of this time uh, that I would love to share with you is we had this like, like I said, it was like a group of 35 people or so, right? And, there we were, we were going out to this, like, camp. So think, like, Christian camp, you know, like in the middle of nowhere, but like in Africa, okay? So we, we, we hired this bus, if you could call it a bus. We hired this bus to take us all out there with our luggage and everything, and it was, like, sketchy. I'm not going to lie. It was like, okay, is this thing going to get us there in order, number one? Are we safe in this thing, number two? But people were really gracious, and we got there. It was good, but what was really cool was that the bus driver, we didn't know this, but the guy that was hired to drive us up there is about a three-hour drive, right? So he's not gonna drive up and then drive back and then, you know, a bunch of times. He stayed up there with us. So he's like sitting in on the sessions and he's like hearing about Jesus. He's watching the people of God passionately praise him and love each other. And at the end of our time together, He's so kind of stirred up that he comes to like the leadership and he's like, "Hey, like, can I share something? Like, this is something. Something's happening. This guy has this profound encounter with God, so much so that he wants to address the 200 people that are there and tell them, thank you for letting me just be here and see this.' It was like spectacular, guys. And like, he was super thankful. Um, One of the guys gave him his Bible. We we literally closed our kind of like conference, if you want to call it a conference. We closed the time just like praying over this man corporately. It was this really special moment. This guy, like, he had an encounter with God. It was amazing, and literally, no one really tried to, he just was, he was just, he was just in the room watching the people of God respond to the love of God, and it profound, it had a profound effect on him. It was really, really cool, right? And he actually got to learn about Jesus, just being there, being present, hearing us preach, hearing us talk, hear, watching us miniature. He got to learn about Jesus. And my prayer and kind of hope is that it doesn't just end there, you know? That this man, his precious soul, that he, he doesn't just know things about Jesus, which, which is good, but he actually, that it results in him actually knowing Jesus. That's the goal, right? This morning, we're going to jump back into a series we've been going through called Jesus is, going through the Gospel of John, we're going through this gospel week by week because it tells us all about who Jesus is. And we want to know things about Jesus that's good, but we don't want to just stop there because we want to know, we want to, we want to know as much as we can about Jesus so that it informs us and, 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 um, and, uh, and influences us to like know him deeper. Not just head knowledge, but heart knowledge and relational knowledge. You tracking with me? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. John chapter 8. You can flip there. If you don't have a Bible or you don't want to pull out your smartphone or whatever, we'll have the words on the screen for you. You can follow along there. Um, in the meantime, I'm going to pray for us while you're flipping there. Pray for our time. So would you pray with me? Hmm. Holy Spirit, we uh, <clears throat> we can study the Bible. We can... Um, We can gain knowledge, and if we're not careful, it will puff us up. So my prayer this morning is that you wouldn't, um, like you'd protect us from that. That yes, we want to learn more about Jesus, we want to learn more about who you are and what you've done, God, but we want that for the sake of growing in depth of relationship with you. So would you help us this morning? Would you help me to not do anything that gets in the way of what you want to accomplish in the hearts and minds of all of us this morning? I want to honor you. I want to honor my friends, my family, my brothers and sisters in this room. We want you to lead our time, to guide our time so that our intimacy, closeness, relationship with Jesus deepens, not just so that our mind gets a little bit bigger. So bless us. We love you. We praise you. And we pray these things in your holy and beautiful name, Jesus, amen. Okay, so really quickly, before we jump into the scripture, a little bit of like bringing you up to speed here. We've gone through like, man, I think it's probably like five or six weeks in this same kind of portion of scripture where Jesus is basically, him and the Jews, they've, they've traveled to Jerusalem. They've traveled to the holy city where the temple of God is. And they're there to celebrate what's called the Festival of Booths. And the Festival of Booths was this annual celebration, this annual festival where the people of God would come and They would celebrate God's faithfulness and the ways that God had delivered them out of slavery, out of bondage in Egypt through the wilderness, you know, to the promised land. So basically, this is this annual party celebrating the, the, the faithfulness, the, gener- the generosity, um, the care, the love of God, okay? So that's what we're picking up In it's in, still in the middle of this festival, Jesus teaching, doing things while this like seven-day festival is happening, okay? So that's what we're gonna pick up here in verse, I'm gonna read verses 12 in chapter 8, Verses twelve through twenty. Okay, here we go. Jesus spoke to them, the, the Jews, the people around, Jesus spoke to them again. He said, This, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are testifying about yourself. Your testimony is not valid. Verse 14: Even if I testify about myself, Jesus replied, my testimony is true because I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. And if I do judge, my judgment is true because it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father, that's God the Father, who sent me. Verse 17. Even in your law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. This is what they're getting at. They're basically saying you're testifying of just about yourself. That's only one testimony. It's not valid. So Jesus kind of gets in here and he says, "Even in your law, it's written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am the one who testifies about, about myself, and the Father who sent me testifies about me. That's two." Uh, verse nineteen. Then they asked him, "Where is your Father?" And Jesus says this, he says, you know neither me nor my father. Jesus answered, if you knew me, you would also know my father. Verse 20, finally, he spoke these words by the treasury while teaching in the temple, but no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. We've been talking about this, this idea of the hour, it's the, that's Jesus' time to die, his time to go to the cross, when he refers to his hour, that's what he's talking about. So, really quickly, here's what I want to do. I want to give a little bit of background so we understand fully what's happening here. And then I want to chat around what it means for Jesus to be the light of the world. Okay? That's what we're going to do. So, in verse 20, it says something actually really important here. It says that he spoke these words by the treasury. Okay? Just to kind of paint the picture, you have the temple, right? This is where the people of God would come and worship God, where his manifest presence was. So you have the temple of God, and where the treasury was located, right there were these two giant lamps, like massive lamps, okay? When these things were lit, they were so bright that they would, they would light up like the whole surrounding area, that whole part of Jerusalem. If you have ever seen like mock-ups of the temple? It was really big. Um, I had the privilege of being in, in Israel early this year and I got to see just small remnants of the, of the upper like kind of platform that the temple was on. This thing was massive, okay? So I just want you to picture these two giant lamps that have the power to light up this entire area, okay? So picture that in your mind, okay? Um, And what these lamps did was they kind of signified something. They signified something really important to the Jews, to the people of God. And remember how I told you that this whole festival, it was all centered around them celebrating God's faithfulness and delivering them out of slavery from Egypt, right? And he delivers them out of slavery, and they go through the wilderness. And while they're in the wilderness, on their way to the promised land... God reveals Himself to His people through what's called the glory cloud. You've, you've, you guys read the stories of like the, the pillar of smoke and, and, and the cloud of fire by night, right? And what would happen is that cloud, stay with me, that cloud would move and the people of God would move. And that's how God would guide his people through the wilderness. Are you tracking with me? So picture that at night. You have this fire cloud at night so that people knew where it was, because at night everything's dark. And God is moving and guiding his people and they're following that cloud. That's what these massive lamps that were lighting up the area, that's what they were signifying. So Jesus says what he's about to say in that area. So I want you to picture this imagery. I want you to picture, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And he's standing by these lamps that signify how God revealed himself and guided his people through a cloud of fire. You're tracking with me? Jesus says that in that space. What Jesus is doing here is he's claiming to be God. He's making a public declaration. Basically what he's saying is, I'm the glory cloud. I'm the light of the world. These lamps, they signify something in our ancestors, right? What happened? God, the way that God like um, revealed himself. I'm the glory cloud. I'm here to guide the way. Look back at verse 12. Jesus, I'm gonna read this. Jesus spoke to them again. I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I want to break this down, because this is really important. There is gold here, guys. So, first things first, darkness. Darkness. Um, practically speaking, darkness is defined as the absence of light. You may have, maybe you've heard that before. Darkness is just the absence of light, Right? And it's funny because the Bible, the Bible uses this imagery of you know, light versus dark all over the place. Old Testament, New Testament, light, dark, light, dark. And what happens is the Bible, it associates darkness with something specific. Do you know what it is? It associates darkness with evil. It speaks of darkness and it's referring to evil. And <clears throat> it's interesting, on the trip that I just got back from, I was reminded of the realities of the evil in the world in some very tangible ways. Um, for whatever reason, I mean, South Africa has like the greatest disparency of wealth, um, or discrepancy, I forget the, the word. Um, it has like the biggest separation of wealth of any country in the world. So you have really wealthy people and really poor people. Okay, millions of people living in townships, which is basically like shanty towns, like ty- like really, 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 really poor people, okay? Um, and because of that, there can often be a lot of crime and a lot of just the stuff that comes along with poverty, right? So broken. Um, <clears throat> but all that being said, one of the things that as a result of that is the exchange rate between the dollar and the South African rand, which is their currency, is crazy. Um, I think the first time I went to Africa, it was like something like 14 to 1. Um, I went one time when it was 18, 18. Ran to one dollar. Uh, crazy. So your, your dollar goes so far. We would go get food at restaurants and it would be like $20 to feed 10 people and you, you, know, you tip the, um, the, the, the person who's working in there 20 bucks and they can't fat. They're like, ah, that's more than the bill. Your money goes so far because there's so much poverty um, and not kind of for everything. Clothing for whatever reason tends to be about the same price in Africa as it is in America but food specifically, an Uber is crazy, okay? Um, Like I said, the team that came with me, they stayed and kind of putted around South Africa for a bit on holiday, on vacation, a little bit after the time, I came straight home. So I took an Uber by myself back to the airport to fly home. And I'm flying home, and I'm talking to my driver, really sweet guy, his name's Anele, uh, and he was telling me about what it's like to be an Uber driver in Africa. I'm just asking him questions, and he's talking to me, a sweet guy. And... What he, he basically starts talking about this turf war between like yellow cab drivers, you know, regular taxi drivers and Uber drivers. Have you guys heard about this? So there's like hostility, man, because you have this taxi cab market that's owned by like the yellow cab, Right? Like, it's forever, you see a yellow car, it's like, that's the cab. There, they're not yellow, they have this different paint scheme, but either way, you're tracking with me. You have the taxi drivers, and now you have this new thing, Uber, that comes in, where anybody can go like, I want to sign up for Uber, I have a car, I want to drive, and it starts to start to take a piece of the pie from a market perspective, right? So my driver in LA is telling me, he's like, yeah, man, it's gotten kind of bad. Like, he goes, um, it's actually gotten violent. He goes, it's gotten to the point where... <clears throat> where taxi drivers will, like, block the road and pull Uber drivers out and beat them up. Okay, it's even gone as far as they've, like, murdered them. There's been crazy stuff. And then he tells me, he goes, goes, yeah, and he goes, they've even, like, murdered the passengers in the Ubers. And I'm like, drive me to the airport faster. (laughs) This is intense. And I'm thinking about this going like, I understand that money and business tends to tweak people out and cause them to do really awful things. But I'm like, for a piece of the pie, you'd be willing to take the life of an Uber driver and an innocent passenger just to, just, to, just to soak up all the profits for yourself. And I just, I was thinking about this, I'm like, there's like evil out there. There's darkness in the world. And I think oftentimes, especially in America, we can be kind of sheltered from the reality of like, really evil, terrible, dark things. There's darkness out there. And what's interesting about the trip regarding this idea of darkness is probably two days before that, two days before I left, um, I'm walking the beachfront in Durban, beautiful city. Um, I'm walking the beachfront in Durban just kind of praying. And like I said, a lot of poverty, guys, a lot of poverty, and there's beggars that, there are tons of beggars around and they're, they're on the beachfront. And it was interesting, that morning, <clears throat> I'd been praying and reading my Bible and just kind of talking to the Lord. And God was highlighting all these times in scriptures where it says that Jesus saw someone and had compassion like all over the Gospels, guys. Like you see this, Jesus saw her and had compassion. Jesus saw them like a sheep without a shepherd and had compassion. Jesus saw, like he, he looked at someone, saw their, the, the, the reality of their state, of what they were really going through, of, of, of the reality of the brokenness that was affecting their life. He saw them and he had compassion. So that was my morning and I'm like, man, Jesus, like you see me in my just in my like my spiritual poverty, and you have compassion on me. This is amazing. So I'm walking on this beachfront, tons of beggars around, and this guy walks up to me. And he's like, "Hey, he's like, he's like, I'm I'm so hungry. Can you buy me some chips, please? Like chips, fries, right? Can you buy me some chips? I'm like, really ashamed to tell you, I lied to him. I was like, "Hey, man, like, sorry, I don't have any more money. Like, I." I And I just kept walking. I'm like so ashamed to tell you that. Evil is out there. But it's also in here. Guys, you know what it would have cost me? It would have cost me three minutes of my time and like 75 cents Evil's out there, but it's also in here. The Bible talks about this idea of darkness, of evil. <clears throat> and the Bible tells us that darkness is the default for everyone. You know what I mean by default? Like the default state, the way it would be without intervention, naturally, like the darkness, like that darkness is the default state for everyone. So the imagery that Jesus uses here. <clears throat> it reinforces this reality of what the Bible teaches, right? Romans 3, all have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. All have disobeyed him. All have rejected him in one way or another. Darkness is the default. And here's the thing. I think think for some people, this is really, really offensive. It's really, really hard to hear. Like, I'm not a bad person. Like, who are you to tell me I'm a bad person? Who are you to tell me that I'm evil? Who are you to tell me that I have darkness in me? All this stuff, right? Right? And in my experience, because that was my story. I didn't, I didn't know Jesus really young, okay? <clears throat> but either way, if you don't believe me that darkness is the default for every human being, that includes me, that includes you, it's because you're basing your goodness on comparing yourself to other people. Like the standard of goodness is how you compare to others. Like, Tom, I would have fed the guy. Like, geez, bro, really? Like, I don't cheat on my spouse. Like, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not addicted to pornography. I don't get drunk. I don't overeat. Like, whatever it is for you, comparing yourself to other people. And, like, you realize comparing yourself to other people, that's pride, which is sin, which is evil. Like, you see this? Like, so, all that being said, darkness is my default, and it's yours too. Every person. And friends, I cannot overemphasize this. Jesus is saying something absolutely profound here in verse 12. Massive. Okay, let's break it down. He says, I am the light of the world. And the next thing he says is, anyone who follows me. Okay? The word there for follow, basically what Jesus is getting at here, he's getting at relationship. He's not just getting at doing what he says. Okay, like he's following, I'm following him, he's, he's directing me, he's guiding me, that's part of it, absolutely. But that word in the original Greek, <clears throat> what it means is to accompany someone who is leading you. So there, it, it involves two things. It doesn't, just a, it, just, it doesn't just involve like you following as in obeying as in his guidance. It does involve that, but it's not exclusively that. Are you tracking with me? It also involves this idea of accompanying him. It involves this idea of Fellowship. You guys know what I mean when I say fellowship. Fellowship has become this like cheesy Christian word for whatever reason. It's like, how is the fellowship? <clears throat> but fellowship is actually a really beautiful thing, man. What, it be, what, it, what fellowship means is fellowship is association based on sharing something in common. So, fellowship is not limited to the church, fellowship is a relational thing, it's associating with people based on sharing something in common. So you could think of a hundred different examples of of fellowshipping, sharing something in common, associating with people that you share things in common with, right? So in our case, the church, the thing in common is Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world, that, that, that he rescued us from sin, Satan, and death. And equally important, that we know him. That's what the Christian has in common. That's what the church has in common. So when we talk about fellowship, that's our, we're associating, but that's the thing that we have in common, that we share in common. And and, and far too often in my experience, the church, like church fellowship, can start to become about anything and everything other than Jesus. It can become about hobbies, which are great. Hobbies are awesome. God wants you to have hobbies. Hobbies it can become about hobbies, like the things that you do for fun, like my fellowship is based on that we have fun together in the same flavor, right, maybe it's not, or maybe it's stage of life, this one's huge, like we're in the same stage of life, that's what's the basis of our fellowship, like we're single, so we like do the single thing, or we're married, so we do the married thing, or we have kids, so that's, you know, we have the same stage of life, the same thing. Or maybe we have the same passions. Like we care deeply about the same kind of social justice initiatives, our career, business, whatever it is. That that association, that thing that you share in common starts to crowd out Jesus and become something else. Good things, but not primary things. You see, because fellowship is different for the follower of Jesus. Fellowship is different for the follow of Jesus. Listen, if Jesus is the center of our life, if, if, if Jesus is like the sun in our solar system, the most important thing that we share in common is what? Is him, yeah. I need you guys to wake up this morning. I need you to be loud, because like, if not, I'm just gonna just leave. No, I'm kidding, I won't leave. But stay with me, be with me. So, hear me say this in love, Okay. <clears throat> If the church, the people, the children of God collected together for a purpose and a season and a time, if the church isn't the primary source of your fellowship in your life, let that be an indicator that something other than Jesus is defining who you are. Let that be an indicator that there's a different sun in your solar system. So, Jesus... Remember picture the imagery here where he's saying this he basically claims to be god <clears throat> excuse me he claims to be god and then he gives an invitation to be in close relationship with him like can we just pause for a minute and talk about jesus like for from him and through him and to him are all things all things were created to him through him and by him like he's the center of the universe this is this is almighty god in the flesh like, let's seriously just consider this for a second. Every star, he placed it there. Like, he knit you together in your mother's womb. Like, you are a, you're a masterpiece. Like, he, he created you. The Bible talks about how, like, he knows how many hairs are on your head. Like, Jesus is so VIP, man. He is so VIP and we tend to like relegate him to like myth status almost. Like he's in this book and we talk about him and we kind of, like Jesus, that guy, God, almighty God in the flesh, that's the one who's inviting you and I into relationship with him. He makes it abundantly clear, I'm God, I'm the light of the world, I'm the true glory cloud and I want to invite fellowship with me. Guys, you have to understand the dynamic of who he's inviting. You have Almighty God, right? <clears throat> Almighty God graciously invites the sinner to have fellowship with him. He gives us an invitation to follow and have fellowship. And then he says what the outcome is. And this is really beautiful. He says the outcome, the, 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 I'm the light of the world. Anyone who follows me and has fellowship with me Will, he says it will never walk in darkness. Um, is anybody here scared of the dark? Let's be honest. Come on, be bold. There we go, sister. I love it. I don't love that you're scared of the dark. I just love that I'm not alone. <laughs> a handful of us. Okay, genuinely afraid of the dark, right? Okay, here's the thing. I'm not typically afraid of the dark. And I say typically for a reason. Uh, <laughs> If you've traveled to any foreign countries, there's one thing about foreign countries that I absolutely despise. And it's not every foreign country, it's just some, but a lot of them seem to do this bizarre thing where they put light switches, like for the bathroom, not inside the bathroom. Okay, let me say that again. If you are in the bathroom, you do not have access to turn on or turn off the light switch. It is outside in the hallway. Okay, so I've learned this the... I've learned this the hard way. Um, don't let your imagination run too wild here, okay? But I'm doing my business, and I'm, yep, yeah, and all of a sudden, the lights go out. And we're not talking like, oh, there's a, thank God there's a window, and like there's light coming in. Zero windows. Pitch black. I can't see my hand in front of my face. It's that black, Okay? How many of you know I was scared of the dark in that moment? Now, remember, track with me here. The scriptures, what do they do? They associate darkness with what? Evil and sin, absolutely. They associate darkness with evil and sin. And darkness is our default, okay? And we can't turn the lights on. We don't have access to the switch, friends. So, here's what I want you to do. I just want you to imagine for a second. I want you to imagine you being in a different room, okay? You being in a different room and it's completely dark. You can't see your hand in front of your face. And like we're all in there together. So, it's a rather large room. You can't see anything. We're all in there together. What would happen? What would happen? Yeah. Let your mind wander with that for a bit. What would happen? Friends, Jesus says the entire world is covered in darkness. The entire world is covered in darkness. The darkness of evil and sin. And he says that he is the light. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that without fellowship with him, you'll never walk in the light. Question for you. This is not to make you feel guilty. This is just to get a a spiritual pulse, okay? There's no place for guilt in the family of God. Is fellowship with Jesus like a regular part of your day? Is fellowship with him a regular part of your day? Like, is Jesus your friend? How many of you guys know there's a difference between like a true friend and... Like, when I say friend, I'm not talking like social media, right? Social media can be a blessing, but it can also be just the worst thing in the world. People comparing each other, feeling insecure. But either way, like, there's a difference between a social media friend and, like, a true friend. And maybe you have true friends that are also social media friends, but you guys know what I'm talking about, right? Like, a true friend, like, you know their likes. You know their dislikes. And not just the pictures that they like, but, like, you, like the things they genuinely like. A true friend, you know them. You know their likes. You know their dislikes. Like you create memories with true friends—deep, profound, lasting memories. You laugh with them. You cry with them. You have fun with them. Sometimes you even argue with them. There's deep relationship. Like you actually know them. Social media friends can be like a different. It's a different thing altogether. Okay, you observe them from a distance but there's no depth there's no closeness you know things about them but you don't truly know them so friend is Jesus a friend that you engage with in real life or is it more like a virtual relationship I love this quote from Tim Keller, pastor in New York City. He says this, the difference between a Christian and a non-Christian, listen to this, is a non-Christian says his prayers, but a Christian prays. A Christian experiences fellowship. You see this, like it's, it's, it's all about knowing him as friend. It's deep, it's relationship. That's the invitation that Jesus is inviting to. He's inviting all of us into. Like that includes you. That's what he's inviting us into, is deep friendship, relationship, fellowship. Not to say your prayers, but to pray. You see the difference there? Yeah? No? Okay. Let's finish off verse 12. I'll just read the whole thing again. Verse 12, Jesus spoke to them again. I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in, walk in darkness, this last part here, but will have the light of life. Will have the light of life. What does that mean? What does that mean? <clears throat> Think about what light does. What light does is it exposes what's in the dark, right? Light exposes what's in the dark. <clears throat> and here's this thing about the Christian. The Christian has this experience, this like this, this weird, kind of interesting phenomenon regularly. Okay? And here's what that here's what it is. The Christian this weird phenomenon the Christian lives in regularly is that the Christian simultaneously feels worse about themselves and better about themselves. Like all together, it's kind of like this just mixture of feeling worse about yourself and feeling better about yourself at the exact same time. What do I mean by that? Okay, let's talk about the feeling worse piece. Talk about light, right? Exposing sin. That's what it does. So you feel worse about yourself because you have this growing awareness of your sin. Light exposes the darkness, right? Light exposes the darkness, the evil, the sin that's in your heart, the behavior that you do that is, that is in opposition to what God would have you to do. So the Christian is someone who's growing in this awareness because the light, it exposes the dark. Growing awareness, first and foremost, of our sins against God Every sin primarily is, is against him first. When, I, when I, um, I'm unkind to my spouse, I'm primarily disobeying God first. First and foremost, it exposes my sin against him and secondly, it exposes my sin against other people. Sin is selfishness, essentially what it is. I choose me over you. That gets exposed and you start to feel really humbled after a while because you're like, dude, I've been trying. I've been trying really hard to not be sinful and I'm not stopping. I have one of two choices. I can kind of avoid it, stay in the dark, not become aware, be hidden and have this fake feel good about myself thing of like, I'm I'm a pretty good person. Compare myself to other people. Hey man, I give to the poor. I don't let them walk down the beachfront without feeding them. You see the difference, light and dark, it exposes, okay? So you feel worse about yourself because you grow in awareness of your sin against God and your sin against others. But at the exact same time, here's the beautiful part. The exact same time, you feel better about yourself because every single one of those sins were bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Every single one of them. Do you know what that means? Jesus said, those who who have been forgiven little, Um, what is it? Oh God, I'm going to butcher it. This is like in the moment. Um, uh, oh, I'm going to paraphrase Jesus, okay? I'm going to paraphrase Jesus. When you are that aware of your sin, you are that much more aware of God's love for you that covers that sin. Are you tracking with me? So there's this, there's this beautiful reality of you growing that awareness of sin and simultaneously you're growing an awareness of his love for you that covers that sin growing in awareness of sin, growing in awareness of his his love for you, feeling worse about yourself and feeling better about yourself simultaneously because he loves me. And do you know what the result of that kind of living, do you know what the result of that is? The result of that is joy and gratitude. Joy and gratitude because he's been so patient with me. He's been so merciful to me. He's been so gracious to me. Like, I don't deserve that. I, here's my huge list, my massive list of sin. Like, do you, guys, you guys are familiar with Apostle Paul, right? Like, probably the, apart from Jesus, arguably the, the, the biggest kind of like influential person in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, if you start reading his writings, in the beginning of his writings, he goes, dude, I am like the worst sinner of all the apostles. And later on in his life, in his letters, he goes, I'm like the worst sinner of all the Christians I know. At the end of his life, you've heard him say this. He goes, I'm the chief of sinners. This is Paul. He's more holy than me. He's probably more holy than you. His progression was one of, he was growing in awareness of his sin, of how wretched he was. Not just the big stuff, the little stuff. When I embellish to impress you, it's because I think that you're more glorious than God because I want your approval the small stuff, the stuff that seemingly goes unnoticed, it's a treason against the king. Like, my little sins put Jesus on the cross just as much as my scandalous ones. If we can learn anything from the apostle Paul, it's that he lived this life of becoming more aware of his sin. It was just like, oh my gosh, I'm the worst sinner in the world, is basically what he says, and it's Paul. But at the same time, oh, Jesus Christ gave himself for me. He loves me. He had this dual, like, awareness. Are you following me with this idea? It's really important because this marks the life of the Christian, not the varsity Christian. There are no JV Christians. This marks the life of the child of God. And the result of that is joy and gratitude because you don't deserve it. It, The gospel of Jesus humbles you no matter who you are. It either either humbles you or it... Really ticks you off and you, you run away from Jesus. You're like, I don't want this. I'm not a bad person. It's one of the two. It, the gospel demands a response. That's why Jesus goes, Those who have ears to hear, let them hear. The result is joy and gratitude. I'm so bad that God had to die for me. Jesus, perfect, innocent Jesus. I'm so bad he had to die for me, but I'm so loved that he was willing and glad to do it. That's the gospel, that's the good news. It's not something you earn. It's not an equation you figure out. It's a gift that you receive. It's God's grace. I feel like the most godly people in my life that I've ever met, the most godly people, they're marked by those two things, joy and gratitude. Yeah, maybe they read their Bible a lot, maybe. Maybe they pray a lot, maybe not. But the most godly people I know are marked by joy and gratitude. They're so convicted by even the smallest sin because they realize that first and foremost they're sinning against him. The very one who laid his life down. The very one who gave his life in their place to cover every single one of their sins and yet they're so in love with Jesus. They feel this deep conviction over their sin but they're just so in awe of the love that he has for them every day. That he knew about that sin before they committed it instead, instead willingly. Jesus said, no one takes my life from me. I, I willingly lay it down. Beautiful. So listen, if your life isn't like if, if if gratitude and joy isn't like a marker in your life, you are like those things. Are, those are things that are like kind of missing in my life. I feel like I wish I was more grateful. I wish I had more joy. If those things are lacking in your life. You either aren't aware of how bad you are, or you aren't aware of how loved you are. Those two things together will produce a joy and a gratitude in your life that nothing else can. Shopping spree at the mall. Epic for like a week. Oh, I have all this stuff. It's going to be so fun. And then it sits in the garage. Maybe temporary joy. Maybe temporary. I'm so thankful for this. The blood of Jesus. Oh, everything else pales in comparison. You want joy and gratitude in your life? Ask the spirit to show you more of your sin. And with that, the gospel, the grace of God. Um, I'm going to close with this. I'll call the band up. You guys can come on up. I'm gonna drink a drink of water. We're almost done. I think I just heard the air conditioner. Praise God, he answered my prayers. Are you guys still with me? Yeah, okay. So this idea of growing in our awareness of the darkness, the sin in our life, right? Growing in awareness of that plus God's grace growing awareness of his gracious love that covers our sins and forgives us, Jesus' perfect life in our place, his death in our place, the grace of God that covers our sins. Are you with me? Those two things, those two realities, growing awareness of our sin and darkness, growing awareness of grace, that produces something. There's a fruit, just like a tree produces fruit. The fruit of that is a strong desire to obey him. It's not obeying him to get him to accept you. It's obeying him because he already has and you don't deserve it. Do you see that, how that changes your motivation? One is I want something from God. Two is I have something, so I just want to please him. You're tracking with me. Because you don't deserve it. <clears throat> so what happens over time is that your desire for sin starts to decrease. Like you genuinely don't want it as much. Even if it's appealing. Let's be honest. Why do we sin? Because we want to. (laughs) Because we love it. We we want to. Let's not let's not pretend. Can we not be like fake people? I can't handle that. Like, let's be real. Like the desires in some of our hearts today are pretty whack, pretty selfish. But we actually desire them. They're real. You're not wrong for being hungry you're wrong for feasting on the wrong thing God created you to be hungry but he created to satisfy that hunger in him so when we grow in this this awareness of our sin when we grow in this awareness of God's grace what it does is it starts to transform our desires we don't want to sin as much because we want to honor him the one who gave his life for us because we didn't deserve it and he still did it We desire to obey him more as we desire to sin less. And here's what I want you to see this morning. This is my big thing. That's the transforming power of God's grace. God's grace is the most powerful thing in the world. Listen to me. Only the grace of God, only the grace of God has the power to transform someone whose default is darkness to walk in step with the light. You can try hard all you want. But if you don't fix your motivation, you're still in sin. You can do good things. I could have fed the, let's put it this way, I could have fed the guy on the boardwalk, right? Just so that I could come back and report to you that I fed the guy on the boardwalk. My motivation in that is still not for the guy on the boardwalk. That's for me. I want to look good in front of you. That's filthy rags. a good thing feeding someone who's hungry and can't afford to buy food. You can do good things, but if your motivation isn't transformed, it's sin because it's ultimately for you. Only the grace of God has the power to transform someone whose default is darkness to walk in step with the light. So listen, if you're the caterpillar, you want to be the butterfly, right? If you're the caterpillar, God's grace is the cocoon. The only way that you're going to genuinely be transformed is not to read your Bible more, although I'm all about Bible reading. But you read it to encounter him, not to puff up your mind, okay? You're not going to be transformed into the butterfly. Follow my analogy, I know it's lame. You're not going to be transformed into the butterfly if you pray more. Prayer's amazing. I want to pray. I want to pray all day, every day. But we pray not to earn something from him, not to twist his arm, but to be with him. It's relationship. Are you with me? Did you know God's agenda is to transform you? That's what he's trying, not trying. That's what he's all about. It's not just like make your life better, although he wants to bless you. He wants to transform you into the likeness of Jesus, the light of the world, who anyone who follows him, anyone who follows him won't be in darkness, evil. Evil. He wants to transform you. How? How does he want to transform you? By illuminating, by lighting up two things. Your sin, the reality of how sinful you are, the big stuff and the little stuff, and the reality of his grace that covers and forgives your sin. Those two things. If you don't hear me say anything else this morning, I want you to know that God's agenda in your life is to transform you by lighting up your sin and by lighting up his grace that covers your sin. That, you're, that you don't have to earn this morning. If you're sitting there going like, okay, I'm gonna gonna try harder, stop. Because that's your motivation, right? I'm gonna do it. How about Jesus said it's finished and it's done and you just receive it? Because it's something that you can't do yourself. It's something that you can't earn. That's what the child of God does. They're adopted into God's family based purely on grace. You don't add to it, you can't take away from it. Jesus is the light of the world to illuminate you to the reality of your sin and the reality of his grace and forgiveness that covers your sin. That you're so bad that God had to die for you, but you're so loved that he was willing and glad to do it. Stoked on it. Because listen, if, you, if those two things, the reality of your sin and the reality of God's grace, if those two things become more real to you, you will live differently you will live a radically different life than the people around you. As Jesus says, you will have the light of life. So, Jesus is, is the title of this series. Jesus is what? This morning, Jesus is the light of the world. He is the source that reveals the truth about you, the truth about you, and the truth about God that can transform you. Will you stand if you're able wanna pray for us? Okay, I'm gonna pray, but I'm gonna listen for a bit and then I'll pray for us, okay? I'm convinced that God wants to minister to many of us this morning. So Holy Spirit, will you speak to us? Would you guide our time? We look to you as the light. I feel like God is highlighting things in your life. I feel like God's highlighting things from your past, some of, your, some of our past of like things that you really are ashamed of, that, you, that if anybody knows, it's only like one or two people. Spirit, I pray and I ask you to bring those things to mind right now, the things that you're highlighting. I feel like God is highlighting um, those of us that are kind of living at too fast of a pace. We don't have time to rest. And the reason we don't have time to rest is ultimately because we don't trust him to make our calendar for us. He commands us to rest. It's important. I feel like God is highlighting marriages. Um, Like you're sinning against your spouse. But primarily you're sinning against God. And there's one more thing I feel like God's highlighting sins of omission, which is basically... Um, you're not doing things you know you should. And for all of us in the room, whether that was something specific for you or not, the the Spirit of God wants all of us to know that the blood of Jesus washes us clean It cleanses us of all unrighteousness. The things that we carry shame for, the the sins in our marriage, the, 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 the not trusting God and living too fast a pace of life, the things that we know we should do and don't, the big sins and the little sins, all of them cleansed by the blood of Jesus. So Spirit of God, I pray that you'd give every single person, myself included, give all of us more faith this morning to trust the gospel, that despite our sin we're loved dearly you, you love the world in such a way that you gave your son god to pay for our debt to forgive us so let us be let, let this room be so filled with joy and gratitude that we can't like we can't help it like we're, I pray just for smiles on everybody's faces I pray for like I pray that we'd giggle because we're so like I can't believe this is true Like, I get the grace of God. I don't deserve this. And I pray for freedom for every man, woman, and child in this room that is aware of their sin. Make us more aware of our sin so that we can become more aware of the grace of God that proves the love of God. Let nobody leave here without knowing Jesus Christ radically loves me. And I have the cross as proof of that. And no one can take that away from me. The accuser can't take it away from me. My resume can't take it away from me because the blood of Jesus has the final word and it says, it's finished, you're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. Help us, Holy Spirit. We love you. We praise you, Jesus. Uh, Develop joy and gratitude in us as we reflect on our sin and more importantly on your grace. Uh, We pray these things in your name, amen.